0: Welcome to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by me, Jen Trecek, and me, Aileen Rutledge. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the world of occupational therapy, sharing the latest research and techniques, and providing insights into the many ways that occupational therapy can help people of all ages live more fulfilling and meaningful lives.
1: Whether you are a practicing occupational therapist, a student of occupational therapy, simply curious about this fascinating field this podcast is for you we'll be interviewing experts in the field sharing stories from the front lines of occupational therapy practice and providing tips and advice for anyone looking to get the most out of their therapy
0: so sit back relax and join us on this exciting journey into the world of occupational therapy in ireland
1: Today we have the honour of speaking with Ivan Rooney, a remarkable paediatric OT who has made a significant impact in her own community. Ivan's journey is one that embodies the spirit of dedication and innovation. Recognising a gap in services within her community, she took the initiative to set up her own OT clinic. As fate would have it, Ivan's second daughter was born with a physical disability, arthrogryphosis placing her in the role of a user of the services of the disability team she worked in.
0: In addition to her impactful work in the field, Ivan is currently pursuing a PhD, focusing on the impact of digital devices on preschool children. In our interview with Ivan, we will have the opportunity to gain a deeper understanding of her journey as an OT entrepreneur, a parent of a child with a physical disability, and a researcher. We'll explore the challenges she's faced, the lessons she's learned, and the insights she's gained along the way.
1: So, welcoming Ivan Rooney to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast. You are very welcome, Ivan. Thank you, Aideen. So, tell us about how you chose occupational therapy as a profession and your early training
2: and maybe the start of your career. So, I, I don't have the biggest inspirational story about becoming an OT. I can't like say it was always a lifelong dream, but I did always dream of working with children. So um, I come from a really big family. Um, I have 10 siblings, so we were, I've been surrounded by kids all my life. Um, I also come from a family of teachers. So um, my mom principal of a primary school and I just, she always spoke so highly of OTs. So OTs would frequently come in and out of the school and she would always tell me about them and say, you oh, know, this would be a great job. And I didn't know loads about it outside of sort of the pediatric um, area. And then I was only seventeen doing my leave insert, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. But knowing that I wanted to work with children, I just ot down speech and language therapy, um and teaching really, kind of just those I can't even remember what else I put. And I remember I was open to the idea of leaving home. But if I got to study in Ireland, I would have I would have chosen that. But I missed Trinity by five points. Um, and as they say I think everything happens for a reason. I then actually got offered Pats and my poor mother, I, she laughs if she listens to this because she, <laughs> anything she asked me to do or would have told me to do as a teenager I would have just done the opposite. So she was really encouraging me to um, go to St Pats and be a teacher and get to work with children and all the rest but I was adamant that I was just going to do the opposite of what she told me to do. So um, I got offered OT in a few places but at the time my um, now husband um, graduated as an engineer and he was starting a job in London. And I was like, oh gosh, this is a bit of maybe a romantic dream. But I went over, went over to Oxford, got accepted to Oxford and I started OT there. And it was a three year course. And I remember my parents dropped me to the airport and they just said, listen Ivan, if this doesn't work out, give it to Christmas, just come home you know you're very young i only turned 18 um i was very young and i went and i i never looked back um i loved it i absolutely loved it it was you know it was it it was so practically driven the course it was it was wonderful and i got to spend so much time in london and um all my placements were there and i did my final year placement in ireland um In the team that I'm now in. It was just a wonderful experience and I have such fond memories of it Um, and it was nothing changed sort of within the within the course in terms of like my aspirations of working with children so my final year was all about my thesis was I think I did it in DCD and visual motor skills and I did the specialist paediatric module and um, then I got a paediatric placement and I sort of, yeah, I, I never really looked back. Um, Then moved to London after I, I graduated, but I landed myself like the best job. Became a school-based OT for the National Autistic Society. Um, Got to work, so the, the school I worked for was called the Civil Elgar School and it was the first school for autism in the world. Um, and it was really at the forefront of everything, sort of education-based. Um, in terms of autism and best practices and any kind of, a lot of of other schools around the world kind of setting up um, autism service and so on would come to visit us. And we had a wonderful um, multidisciplinary therapy team, um, great teachers um, and yeah, that was the start of my sort of pediatric OT career. Um, And like I suppose in London as well, just the, it offers so much diversity in terms of the the children that we got to work with, and so much kind of, so many different cultures, and um, it was yeah, um, it was it was great, and we. Um, was it a
1: primary age school or. Um, so it
2: was a school, yeah. So it was um, primary, secondary, and further education. So it's children and young people aged five to nineteen, and we also had a residential care setting as well. Um, and this school, I suppose we. A lot of children didn't start out in this school. This school was very much um, like uh, a place where children would come to after their first sort of maybe mainstream placement broke down or sp- other special school placement broke down or also if their home placement broke down. So you no, know, we had we had pretty complex needs in the school. Um, we had a wide range of needs. So we had autism, but we had a lot of sort of secondary or a dual diagnosis within the school as well. Um, but it was wonderful it was really really you know i couldn't have asked for a better start to my career in terms of the learning and the experience did did you stay in in the nhs or did you come back home after yeah. that or so um no i uh, i was there for a few years i think i i was in that role for maybe over three years and then um we sort of got the itch to go travel my husband and I and we said listen we'll take we'll take a year out and we'll come back and that was sort of the agreement with the school at the time as well and then we went to Australia um and we we were you know we were pretty free flow and we didn't know kind of what we were going to do in Australia but I had registered with the association the APRA over there for OTs in Australia and I just kind of wanted to I couldn't help myself I wanted to just see what it would be like to work as an OT in Australia so um then I got a job in Sydney just incredible so at this point I had done a lot of sort of CPD and training so I was I had modules like one two three of my SI done and had like floor time done and um lots of sensory training and I came across this clinic uh, like 20 minute walk away and when I say 20 minute walk it was a long it was the Coogee to Bondi walk I don't know if you've ever been to Australia but it's this beautiful like idyllic walk Um, and that was my commute to work every day and it was a private clinic it was called Kickstart Kids Therapy um, and it was a pediatric clinic uh, babies children teenagers 0 to 18 and um, with its main approach being SI you know I had done SI I'd done a lot of SI within the school that I was in but this was a different level this was the most like every room you went into there were fully equipped SI therapy gyms Um, Evan
0: can I just um just for anybody who doesn't know about SI could you um sensory integration could you just give us a very brief um description of that or or what you mean by that
2: yeah so um air sensory integration is um an approach it was developed by a wonderful uh, lady called Jane Ayers in in the seventies and it was, it's, it really, like when I was studying, it was still not a well-known approach within a pediatric OT, but it has grown so much over the years in terms, cause we're really getting lots of evidence about its effectiveness, its effectiveness now. And a lot of that is coming from the States um, and Canada as well. But um, I guess it's a framework um, in terms of assessment and intervention for children that, present with sensory processing difficulties um, which are very often secondary to other conditions so things like autism or ADHD or um, DCD um so it's, it's 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 an assessment um framework and it's also then an intervention approach that we use um, and it's all sort of it's it's sort of premises in neuroplasticity um, and very much kind of rooted in play um, and sort of the intrinsic motivation and the inner drive of the child to be actively involved in the therapy that they're in Um, and that's what sort of drives neuroplasticity and then therefore therapy outcomes. A lot of work has been done in the years to stay true to what SI really is because kind of when I was starting out it was becoming quite trendy and it was calling SI, saying that they were maybe using SI or um, doing SI when it was more maybe sensory motor or sensory play or tactile play or whatever whatever we wanna call it. There are quite sort of strict rules. So there's a whole fidelity measure on, on what true SI looks like. Um, and then, and I, and I think that was really, really important in terms of getting lots of evidence so my husband got a job and I also got a job as a locum OT in Fermanagh um, in a new hospital in, in Enniskillen and it was as part of a and list initiative and within kind of this service there was a specialist OT for physical disability, a specialist OT for intellectual disability and an autism team but then there was a cohort of children just left to the left to the side sort of um, that were on this and list and just were not not a prior not not high on the priority list um and those were our, our, our children really struggling you know um our kids with sort of neurodevelopmental um disorders or dcd adhd sensory process and behavioral motor conditions um, that were just not prioritized so when i finished that i was sort of looking to get into um maybe the HSE or some sort of OT role in Monaghan we were quite content living at home but then I sort of realized that it was the same thing was happening in Monaghan sort of cabin my, my local area as well where at the time this is way way before PDS at the time we had no primary care service so everything was falling under one child development team and um, the disabilities the complex uh, disabilities were taking priority and um, there was a again a cohort of children sitting on a waiting list for up to four or five years. Um again at the time autism units were, were just starting out. I think we had one or two in Monaghan. Um so these these children were not getting much support anywhere. And then I also was, you know, coming back to a time in my life where my friends were starting to have kids and my family and my sisters and things like that. And I said, gosh, like these What what you know there has to be something we can do here. Um, and then one day I just, I just said it. I said it to my husband, my my now husband. I just said, I think I'm gonna just set up something. And he was like, Yeah, go for it. And that's what I did. Um, so I I took my time. I took you know it took me a good few months to set it up. And yeah, that was I opened Thrive in September 2014. And well, (laughs) that was a journey in itself. Um. There did was
1: you base it on anything, again, any kind of model or service that you worked in? Did you
2: base it on it? Maybe no, to be like honest, 18, I must admit, I I mimicked what we did in Australia. I, I definitely mimicked. It was brilliant. They did it really, really well. Um, and my manager in Australia mimicked that of places she had worked in London. So we were all sort of, and then changing bits that she wanted to change, and then I was changing bits. Then that sort of sort of suited the service at home. So the the clinical side of things I felt, you know, confident with the business side of things, I well I, I I didn't have a clue. So I did courses um with sort of our local enterprise center on setting up your own business and all that comes with that, because that's a that's a huge part of it and a whole different side to it. We opened our doors and I I never ever anticipated how fast it would grow, how busy it would become um within by Christmas time I had employed my first therapist and it just sort of rolled from there at Christmas of that year we had a nine month waiting list and I'm in my head I was like oh my goodness this is just as bad but it wasn't as bad because it wasn't four or five years Um, and we got there with it and it was just a matter of yeah there was a lot of learning a lot of mistakes made for sure and learning a lot of learning and it was great it was great Sounds like
0: you worked in some really dynamic services in in London and in Sydney, and um, that were maybe very different to what you saw in Ireland in the HSE. Yeah. Did you feel, you know, was something missing in the HSE? Was there any way that the HSE could have developed what you
2: developed yourself? You know, I feel like the 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 the, sim- the most simple answer to that is that the only thing missing in the HSE was staff numbers. Honestly I had never worked in an environment where we struggled with staff and where we were really really struggling to meet the demand and to meet the needs. Mm -hmm. We all you know we always had very manageable caseloads and then when I you know I, I think a massive part of the success of Thrive was the relationship I then had with the HSA therapist in our local parents away from them or anything like that. I think they were very grateful for the service and we worked well together in terms of collaboration and communication and openly discussing what we could do, how we could jointly work together with, I guess, for the best interest of the child. Yeah, I think, listen, resort, it's it's, it's an ongoing issue. It has always been an ongoing issue. It will be an ongoing issue for a long time, the issue of resources in the HSE.
0: Great that you were able to fill that gap though, because as you say, there's a cohort in the middle that yes. just don't get the services that they need and early intervention as we know makes such a huge difference in people's lives definitely
2: um and we very much then within thrive in terms of the the, the model or, or the delivery of services we were offering it was very much home school clinic and they were so intertwined and one didn't work without each other so um it was very like it we would collaborate with the teachers the SNA the parents the local therapist um, and it was that team approach that I think was so key to the success and ultimately the the reputation of Thrive um, but it also then you know I'm I'm talking as if it you know it, it, it was all so positive and it was a really really positive experience but there were hard days for sure and you know, we, there were things that I just couldn't, um, I suppose, compete with in a way as well with the HSE in terms of like staff retention um, and things like that. Um, So that was a a huge challenge for me in Thrive, and that was the biggest challenge, uh, aside from kind of like the business management, which was very new to me, but it was the staff retention. Um, I just think with private practice, you just don't, you can't guarantee or offer the security and the comfort and the predictability that I think the the mm-hmm. kind of the HSE could have offered so I found that um that was really challenging
1: what mm-hmm. size of team did you have Ivan, and at your, at your peak within Thrive oh,
2: um, I had at my peak I probably had seven therapists eight and I've I such fond memories of it um and And so many people who then go who what who seek to sort of set up their, their own private practice, reach out to me and um will will ask, you know, have you any advice about you know, kind of and and how to do this or how to approach this? Um and I will always say the same thing to them um and that is to remember why you started because ultimately, in the end, I lost that um there were you know in my kind of final months in Thrive I was spending so like so many t- days in the office and um in terms of like hours spent actually working directly with the children compared to hours spent in the office managing people managing the service dealing with kind of external agencies and so on um I sort of lost I I, I lost the real kind of deep passion for what I really wanted to do um, and and that's not with I, I suppose I I always try to bring um, other people in in terms of like business management and so on, but it just didn't it just didn't work out um, it just didn't work out um, and so in it was March, twenty twenty, it was just right before COVID um, that another um, national organisation acquired it, and I was delighted I was never going to close it. It was always that someone else. This service would still be here for the families of Monaghan, Cavan, or, you know, kind of surrounding counties. Um, so it's still there. Families are still accessing it, which is wonderful. I'm just not a part of it anymore. And if and then you moved to the HSE, isn't that right? I did. I did. So my priorities, priorities, I suppose, um, sort of shifted. I started my own family, and I just couldn't give to Thrive what it needed anymore. Um. And at the time, I I don't know if it was fate, but I was on a senior panel, which I did an interview for like years prior. And a job, a senior OT job came up in Monaghan Cab in our local child development team. And it was the first job that had come up in, and I'm going to say about 10 years. It could have been more and was first on the panel to get it uh, or to to be offered it. And so this was while I still had Thrive, by the way, um, I thought in my head I might be able to manage both um, but again I, I didn't know I just felt like the timing uh, of it and just kind of how I felt about Thrive at the time in terms of the therapy I thought this would actually allow me to be a therapist again so I, I took it and I am still in the team I'm I'm on a break at the moment but I'm still in our team and we have just went through all of the changes I, I suppose with PDS, and I'm in I'm in our disabilities team. So we've split up into primary care and disabilities. So I'm part of the disabilities team.
0: Amazing journey, and I know you're taking a year out at the moment, and you're doing something that I am in awe of in terms of returning to education. And you are doing a PhD, and I just think anybody who embarks on that marathon is (laughs) a wonder person, a wonder woman. And tell us about your PhD and and what led you to that. Why did you decide to
2: go back and study? Um, you know, it was never really on my radar and a lot, of, I say, I think this is a recurring theme. It was never really on my radar to do all of these things, but it was, um, it was very, uh, personally driven to be completely honest. So, um, my, my second child, my youngest daughter was born two years ago, um, with a physical disability. Um, and it was a, it was a postnatal diagnosis. Um, she was born with a congenital condition, uh, called arthrogryposis. And that sort of took us on a, a, another detour in itself in terms of kind of life and parenting and all the rest. So um she is now in the team, you know, accessing the services of the team, the wonderful team, by the way, absolutely incredible uh, Children's Disability Network team in Monaghan. Um, and I returned to work um, after she was born part time. And I just honestly felt it. The, just disabilities at home and disabilities at work in this all-consuming world of disabilities was just a little bit heavy um, and I always said I, I, I returned to work saying that if if anything if I have to sacrifice or if anything is sacrificed for my daughter I'm not doing it because she is my priority my both my children are my priority obviously, obviously but I have this really crucial window of time with her um, in terms of sort of her her condition so I Took, took a break from work um, to focus on her and then this opportunity arose um, to do a PhD and I, I wasn't sure, I wasn't sure, to be honest, um, I went back and forth with the decision for a while, but it is um, it, was, it was something that I'm just genuinely very, very interested in as a parent and obviously as a therapist as well, so the project's called DigiTots, um, and it is. I'm very. It's very early days. I've just started um, in the past couple of months. But living the realities of modern day parenting with two working parents and uh, and so on. It's 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 a matter of occupational balance. It's like how can we strive for this balance for our children um, and for our home lives because we we are bringing children into this digital world now, and they are not getting a say in it, they're not getting a choice in it, and they're just exposed. Digital devices are completely normalized within our home environments. Um, I think the average Irish household has eight digital devices in it, um, and they're just exposed from birth. And in this sort of digital era, I was actually at a a play conference um, a couple of weeks ago at Glasgow, and it was really interesting because they were talking about um, the rights of a child and the child's right to play which we know is so fundamentally important but we're also talking about you know we children children now are drawn to digital devices as a play choice and we need to embrace that and we need to respect it and we need we need to use it in a way that will be beneficial for them because when you look at the research um around digital devices and the impact on development um it's quite scary um, and it's all sort of a lot of the negative associations is sort of looking at something called displacement and it's like well time spent on digital devices uh, is takes away from time spent doing other meaningful things so um, engaging in physical activity social interactions uh, other types of play for like imagine play whatever it is so it's all about achieving supporting parents to achieve balance and and for us that's occupational balance so um as a parent i would have loved for this to have to have been done years ago so i would know what to do um but i i think it's going to be really really valuable research and because so a lot, a lot of the guidelines out there are very much like no more than one hour a day and uh for different age groups and your child must have 60 minutes of vigorous physical activity a day and and things like that so i hope that we can come up with very realistic, manageable um, advice and guidelines for parents sort of navigating this digital world and, and with some sort of balanced exposure in terms of play opportunities and play choices
0: that sounds incredible and so valuable you know as a parent i completely get that dilemma like we've got devices in our household always have um time limits on it absolutely but then you kind of look at what they're doing with it so you know i've got my daughter one of them who does dances like she's not allowed on tiktok but she does tiktok dances so she's using the device but she's also doing a huge amount of physical exercise alongside So yeah. that counts as her time on the device, but yes. it's also yeah. physical. So then yeah. it's it's finding that balance. It's all about how you use it. It's, sure. it's a real challenge. For sure. Yeah. I think
1: the project yeah. just brings all of you just so nicely together, Ivan. You're, you're <laughs> a young mom of young children. Um, occupation, you know, and all your yeah. experience of of an early childhood. It's just, it really sums you up. It's a perfect project yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to getting stuck into it. I really am. Now academics, um, like I'm meant to be doing a literature review at the moment. It's been a while since my undergrad thesis. Um I've done sort of low-level research in my SI in terms of my case studies and things like that. But this this is a new challenge in itself. But you know what, it it's it has pleasantly surprised me. Um I, I love the flexibility with the process. I have a wonderful supervisor who just gets it and I yeah I, I it's it's the right fit for my life right now
0: and which university are
2: you with Avon? so i'm with the it's it's um, the national research centre uh, PEI, a national research centre for psychology um educational emotional intelligence which is a uh, substrand of tu dublin
0: um, tell us so uh, just in terms of your family, and you said that your younger daughter um, was born and, and has a, a disability, physical disability, which kind of puts you in a different role—that of maybe yeah. a consumer of services rather than a provider
2: of services.
0: What's that shift been like for you?
2: Yeah, um, it's been it's 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 been a shift. It's for sure. It's um, yeah, it's been interesting. Um, we have come sort of into services with a very open mind it has transformed my thinking um, as a therapist I must say when when I first I guess became a parent I thought I was a different therapist but then when I became a parent of a child with a disability that completely transformed me again and as much as I would have liked to think I thought I could resonate with parents and what they were going through I really don't think until you're going through it yourself you really really fully fully understand what it's like for them and so I have a whole new I suppose way of thinking and feeling for those families going through um raising children with disabilities listen I probably underestimated our our services at home and um, for uh Kind of the first few months, the first year of my daughter's life, um, because her condition is so rare, um, I was thinking, gosh, we need really, we need to get to, we need to get to the experts, the, to the people that really work are working with this day in day out, and it's a population thing in Ireland for sure. So we took her everywhere. So we we've been to America, we've been to Texas, Florida, we've been to um, Poland, London. And you know what? We are right back at home with exceptional therapists, exceptional surgeons. Um yeah, I've a whole new appreciation for 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 all of the negatives that come with our health service, uh, for you know, and for all of the kind of bad rap it does get, I have a whole new appreciation for for it. Um and for therapists as individuals who if you could write down 10 things on paper that you would like them to do for you, if they could, they would. So I have a, I have a whole new appreciation for them. Um now we're with a few a few different teams. So we 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 see therapists in the public system and we see therapists uh who work privately. Um and the link between the two is great. And again, that's something that I think I encourage because that I, I know the value in that and I know the benefit in that. Um, it's not listen. It's it's not all plain sailing. The 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 journey is not linear by any means, and things change. And um, when we when it's going well, we we take it, and and it goes well. But um, we I feel truly really 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 blessed with with our experience so far. I really do.
1: Um any advice, any practical tips, um, that you've received on the other side
2: that have made a really yeah. big difference um so i'm going to so as a parent i'm go, i'm i'm, I'm going to give this advice but i also would like to give advice as a therapist as well um because i feel like i'm sort of split into two different roles now as a parent i and this actually goes both ways so if there was ever any parents listening as well um i think it's important as well i would love um for therapists to approach the child um Based on the child that is in front of them and not their diagnosis. Um, and I know we need, we need we need prior information about conditions and so on, and we need research, and we need evidence, and we need statistics, and we we need all that. But again, a very personal example. If you were to read about my daughter on paper, you might read things like, and, and again, you would assume them secondary to her condition anyway, but you might read things like, oh, um, absent biceps in right upper limb or um weak elbow flexion and so on and functionally that might translate to oh well she must not be able to feed herself or she must not be able to brush her teeth or um put on her hat or whatever it might be but she can do all of those things um and it's about approaching it's about you're going in going into that first sort of meeting or those first few initial sessions i think with a blank page and just seeing the child for parking your kind of presumptions, leaving your assumptions at the door, um, and assuming ability and assuming competence, because I do believe every child deserves that at the very least. And, and likewise, I would say for th- for for parents approaching their uh, approaching therapy services, um, and children's teams, you know, this you, you you there's been a lot sort of in in kind of mainstream social media and stuff about kind of. Challenges within CDNTs and so on, and again, they're very you know they're very generalized stories, and they're they're not everybody's story. So you you create your own story. Go in with a blank page. Give you know that creates such a mutual respect. You are a team. You're you know you're on the same side here. Your partner, your partners, your collaborators. You want the you want the best for this child. Um. So. I think if you can go in with those in mind and not, not going in kind of on the defense or as a parent, because I, I do think that can happen. Um, and as therapists, just assume, just assume that this child has the ability and has competence and don't um, presume based on their condition or what you may have read, that this will be the case for this child.
1: To open-mindedness Ivan, on both sides yeah,
2: yeah yeah for sure and I think
0: sometimes we can get defensive both ways yeah, yeah you for know sure. that oh yeah. this, this yeah. is a problem and if you're going in with assuming that everybody is doing their best that they can yeah. given the circumstances that they're working in or that they're yeah. parenting yeah. in that's a really good basis for a relationship yeah.
2: and just in terms of I know you you um talked about the words of wisdom mm-hmm. eating um as a therapist, um, so I, I feel like that's from just being a parent of a child with a disability, but as a therapist, I, I think as paediatric therapists, this is th- this this is our bread and butter. Like th- this this is our complete, this is our, this should be in our day in, day out with whatever child we are working with, um, whatever the ability of the child, we need to bring it back to play. Um, and I say that because I have tried and failed the prescriptive um sort of therapy regimented um strategies with my daughter um and we go nowhere and in terms of sort of so obviously it's a it's it's a mother-daughter attachment in in, in that regard but in terms of the therapist child relationship and rapport there will there will be nothing that will create a better relationship than done through play. Um, and again it's about remembering play is very subjective sorry what we view as play not may not be what the child experiences as play um and it has to be obviously so meaningful um to the child but if i honestly if my daughter thinks back and remembers that m- myself and her dad just played with her um then i will be very 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 happy um and then it's all it's just obviously about incorporating the therapeutic strategies within that um, and you know playfulness is is important for everyone it's important for us as therapists you know we all adults need to play it too it's so 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 important and I think with everything that goes on in terms of kind of the work environment and some of the kind of situations we find ourselves in with frustration and um, stress lack of control over certain things and um, particularly in the public system um, I think we forget that I think we forget that actually you know we we can enjoy this. We need to enjoy it. Um, and there is nothing better, for, for me anyway, and I'm sure for so many paediatric therapists, than playing with a child. There's nothing better.
1: To so play is where the magic happens. Absolutely. What a brilliant note to finish on, Ivan.
0: That note, Ivan. thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. It's really insightful.
2: Oh, no, thank you very much.
1: That's all for today's episode on the Irish Occupational Therapy podcast. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and found it informative and engaging. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can email us at irishotpodcast at gmail.com or connect on Instagram or Facebook.
0: And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss an episode. If you found this episode helpful, please leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Um, Your feedback is important and helps us to improve the show, so please do leave it. Thank you for listening to the Irish Occupational Therapy Podcast, hosted by myself, Jen Trecek.
1: And myself, Aileen Rutledge.
0: We look forward to sharing more insights and knowledge with you in future episodes. Until then, take care.